0: Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer, and this week we learnt that the Nobel Prize for Economics went to two Stanford economists who worked out how to get the most money for selling a house at auction and paying the least if you're a buyer. So I thought I'd run their conclusions by the founder of Century 21 in Australia, Charles Tarby, and what came out of our discussion looks like a masterclass on what to do and what not to do when buying or selling at an auction. You should really tune into this. And then the CEO of Mortgage Choice, Suzanne Mitchell, gives you her inside info on what home loan interest rates you should be locking in for the next three years. This is a masterclass on loans right now. So without any further ado, let's just catch up with Charles Tarvey and learn all there is to learn about auctions. Well, my next guest is the founder of century 21 or c21 charles Tarby. Now, i want to talk to him today about the winners of the nobel prize in economics who've worked out how to win at auctions charles great to see is you this is a
1: story i don't know anything about this right? no no okay, but I'll, well, I'll
0: talk you through it. Right. i wrote the story um on tuesday in uh, switzerland daily um i discussed it with ben fordham on 2gb because you know all australians We love property and and are we the only country in the world where people stand on a front lawn and have a bid for million dollar properties?
1: Uh, it is very interesting to watch because normally auctions, particularly in the U.S., are considered a bad thing because mm. it means it's a mortgagee in possession uh, of sorts and uh, there's a bad story behind it. Mm. So it's complete. When we talk to our U.S. counterparts and we mention the word auction, they're always like, hey, you know, we, we don't want to talk about that auctions. It's unbelievable? Yeah. yeah. And, and when you consider the, the, the world capital for auctions, which is Melbourne, uh, although it's struggling at the moment, mm. Uh, Is a complete opposite to that, and yeah. they have tremendous success. And there was an auction on uh, in the last week, uh, six hundred ninety thousand over reserve, hmm. and the property sold online. Was it? Or what? Uh, no, no, this one wasn't. But there was two hundred two hundred bids on this property in Bondi, oh, okay. and uh, yeah. and of course three point six was a reserve, and it sold for four point two something. Hmm. Uh, that that wouldn't have happened if it was private treaty. No. Yeah. So
0: there, you know, there are people out there that. But what about the idea that? people hang on the front line. I I've never care. seen it no. in the UK. I've never seen No,
1: anywhere. I've been an auctioneer for a long, long time and there's some very interesting stories when you're doing auctions, mm. uh, particularly on site. And uh. Uh, There's lots of problems that can go wrong. I remember doing one uh, one in Ruin where we had about, oh, I would have been about 100 plus people there and this chap was bidding at the front and all of a sudden the, the chap at the back walked up, whispered something to him in his ear and walked back and, and the guy stopped bidding. I, I knew from the reaction that uh, uh, it was a cultural situation, mm-hmm. and I was part of that culture, so I understood <laughs> right. I knew he'd threatened the guy. Yeah. No more, so more bidding for yes, you. Yes, yeah. And so I said to the gentleman at the back, I refuse to take any more of his bids. And it, it caused a bit of a storm, but, yeah. but that give, gives you an indication of why auctions can work because there's so much energy and, yeah. and that in, in a room. And, and people know, particularly with that property in Bondi, mm. uh, you don't get a, a four or five bedroom house come up in Bondi very often. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so you're going to have people bidding for it and it'll be their only chance for many years. Yeah. Okay. So let me explain. Oh, what's the story? Let me, let me explain to story? you and, and yeah. to
0: our audience who might not have seen this. So there's two American economists from Stanford University who have done a, a very uh, com- complex analysis of auction. Game theory and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I don't want to bore anyone with the actual stuff that the economists actually looked into, but the conclusions are really interesting. Right. So, the first conclusion is from a seller's point of view, if you want to get the maximum revenue that you could get at an auction, it's probably in your interest not to tell the agent anything. Okay. I, and, and tell us, right. tell us okay. what you, you would say to that.
1: Uh, I can probably agree. Yeah. I completely agree, and uh, the, the most successful auctions we had were where a government department would walk up to me when I was at the lectern mm. and hand me an envelope mm. with the reserve price, mm. and that was the first and only time that anybody had ever seen it. Mm. Uh, when you set a reserve price, and I always tell people at auctions don't, uh, who, who ask me for my mm. advice, the agent will ask for an indication, that's reasonable, mm. but the agent should be giving you an indication after the first or second inspection as to what people are prepared to pay. Mm. And even if they do, you, you you don't nod your head or shake your head, you just, you just keep mm. uh, a strong stance uh, and, and say nothing. Because uh, if you set any sort of target for anybody, mm. that's where it all ends generally. Yeah. And so
0: I've always been a firm believer that the reserve price should never be disclosed. Yeah.
1: Until the time of the
0: auction. Okay, Charles, let me talk you through a number of situations I might have been in my lifetime of real estate. So, if an agent says, Well, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Switzerland, what, what would you be happy with? Mm. And if we instantly say, Well, two million, we'd be happy with yeah. that. When he goes to talk to to potential buyers, he says, "Look, well, they, they might say to him, well, what do you think the owners want?'" "What do want? you think?" "Yeah." And yeah. he said, "Well, I think these guys can be happy for around two Wouldn't Exactly. They, they would say that because the more people are turning up and bidding, yeah. the more chances a sale happens, and the agent right. needs yeah. a sale to get Look, a commission. Some,
1: some people need an indication because yeah. they need to sort their finances out. But yeah. in today's day and age, realistically, you can find out whether it's a core logic, even though you know you the can't data get 100 percent. Yeah. But you, you you can get at least an understanding of what it might cost you uh to to buy that property. If I was selling a property uh, and and I have to be open about that, mm. I would not disclose my reserve price to anybody mm. until the day of the auction. Mm. And if if the agent wanted me to give me an indication, I'd be saying to them what most sellers used to say to me. Well, you're the expert, you mm. should know. Yeah. And I I think you could leave it at that, but I think they're right. Okay. I think no, they're no, right. The second... So we we hoping something was No, no, no. Oh, okay. no I
0: I wanted to run it by a, a practitioner yeah. these yeah. guys. And I Look, the, uh, I found interesting. And that's uh, some, my personal view. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Another interesting part was, from the point of view of the bidders, mm. he said the more information you can get about what other bidders are prepared to pay and what they, he said, the better you're going to be when you actually make a bid. And that, right. and, and they, I guess you react in a second. They said, uh, I've never come across this before, but you know it. They said, uh, uh, when you when you win at an auction. There's something called the winner's curse. You related that you win, but you thought, "Hang on, have I ever paid?" Correct. And he said, "If you were a bidder." the more information you can get about all the other bidders out there and what they might pay, the better you feel. That's right, and the, the and more feel. likely you won't overbid. Correct. Of course the, the energy of the situation could take over, yeah. but what do you say to that
1: there Obviously buyer's remorse is always something that occurs after you purchase something mm. and you know I went over the price I was going to pay for it and should I have done that mm. etc. Uh, it does help calm the nerves if you know and I, I know a lot of agents will tell people afterwards, mm. look you did very well, because there were other people that were prepared to pay a similar price. And mm. I think there's, there's nothing wrong with letting people know that without indicating pri- or breaching privacy. Mm. Uh, but, yes, that at auction is a real strange thing. Mm. Those people who bought that property at, at auction and paid $600,000 mm. mm. and that's been advertised everywhere, how do you think they might be feeling today? Mm. Uh, you know, they might be elated because they think they've stolen it, mm. but at the end of the day, when somebody says the reserve price was 3 6 they probably... Uh, would have gone home and said, we should have offered 3.7 or 3.8 before the auction and Mm. not waited, and we might have saved ourselves a few hundred thousand
0: dollars. Well, that's a good question as well, Mm. Charles. Uh, And I'll come back in a second. The question I'm going to ask you in a minute is, you know, is it it a good idea when you really like a property to to get an idea what the reserve is, Mm. if the agent will tell you, and then go maybe 100000 over just to get it, yeah. to, to particularly if you feel there's lots of people interested in the product. Well, a good agent's
1: are not going to tell you that information. Mm. Yeah, but well, and there's foremost. bad agents out there as well. Well, yeah. every industry, <laughs> in, even in yours, Peter, I hate to hasten to say, uh, there's always people that give you bad advice. Mm. And, and I, I would suggest that um, if you go in and make that offer, you've got to remember one thing. And that one thing is that you've now uh, shown your hand. Yes. And in showing your hand, mm. you could now be setting a different stage where it's going to be even more competitive for you. Mm. So it's a double-edged sword to go in. Most agents, you'll notice that, that a, uh, agents start to get a little bit nervous towards an auction. We all always do as to mm. how successful it's going to be. Mm. But we've got an indication. Mm. We know how many mm. contracts we potentially have handed out, particularly in New South Wales, which is how that system works. Mm. So you've got an indication of what the interest is. But you've got to also be incredibly careful because I had this happen, not to me, but had this happen as the auctioneer for a property where right at the last minute, a person came in and offered a significant amount more if the property was withdrawn from auction. And the vendor said, look, let's take it off. The agent said, let's take it off. I said, no, no, the rule is you go to auction. You've got to go to auction. Anyway, they decided not to go to auction uh, because the bid was incredibly higher, the offer's incredibly higher, and sure enough, that person didn't follow through. So that was a person who was obviously educated on how to slow down the auction process. So you've got to be incredibly mm. careful as to, as to whether or not the, you disclose your hand or whether the
0: vendor thinks, gee, I'm getting a great deal, mm. I, I'll stop the auction. So, so to test out the, the economist's proposition, Charles, and if there were, say, Five really serious bidders, and the, and the agent knows that because there's five contracts, yeah. and he's talked to them. and it, And you can yeah. often see if there's one partner, it's often a female. It doesn't have to be, but but they're often, their hearts set on on winning the property. Right. They love the okay. property. And yes. a lot of blokes are just like, well, if my wife's happy, I'm going to be happy about hmm. this. If if you're one of the bidders, it's a different world you live in I know. In that I I know, I know. That's the old. Anyway, so. I'm sorry, I'm an old-fashioned guy. Um, so, but the bottom line is this. If if four of those bidders were just normal people who, who didn't think about doing some research on what they're going to pay, but the other person really did, you know, uh, turned up at all the showings, got to yeah. know who were the people with contracts, and said, yes. yeah, what do you reckon we're going to have to pay for this? Yeah, and he's a really good salesperson. Do you reckon, he, as a consequence, he would probably have a very good chance of of paying what he wants Look, to
1: pay. Everything is about negotiation mm. and negotiation doesn't start at the time of auction. And this is what we say to agents when you're when you're selling a property for a vendor the negotiating doesn't start when you take a deposit the negotiating started when you took the listing. Mm. And and if you have that relationship and you work through with people you can get so much more done. Mm. So on the flip side if a, if a buyer builds relationships with the the uh, agent and the people and attends a number of open for inspections Mm. it's it if if the agent's not careful that buyer could find out more information than they they should know Mm. and in doing so they could confidently attend an auction and and have a price set and probably do better than what they think Mm. so it is a game Mm. it is a negotiating game and your agents have got to be really on the ball today's agents have not had the chance to learn how to negotiate because in the last few years it's been at one of those cycles where if the property comes up for sale it'll generally sell itself right. and in today's market where stock levels are low, 22.23% lower stock today than we had this time last year mm. and in Melbourne 42 plus percent lower stock. You, 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 you know then that Uh, there's a certain pattern that can occur and if that agent uh, is not careful and if that buyer is very clever they can do a lot more damage and so the agents haven't learned how to negotiate in the last four or five years Mm. because they haven't had to. So we need to and we're consistently training our people to learn how to negotiate a transaction effectively Mm. And, and those agents that just list a property for sale, that don't have experience put up the sign, hope the auctioneer does his job, are going to be either costing themselves or more importantly, the vendor, a lot of money. Mm. Uh, it's a very interesting game. It is, it very is. interesting game.
0: Uh, Charles, uh, I'm Have I
1: said anything at all, Peter, that, that might get me into trouble today? No, no, well, I, I think you have, but I'll leave it at that. I'll
0: leave <laughs> trouble. You always <laughs> think, you always Yeah, do. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm programmed <laughs> for that kind of thing. Uh, he, I, I've been successful at two auctions, and, and the first time I used this technique, it worked so well, I held back for the next time I was going to do it. But tell me w- whether this is you know, something that smarties use, or I just got lucky. So uh, we, we, we went to a place we really liked it. We worked and we knew the area very well, so we ha- had a good idea of what this should go for, because we'd miss out two options anyway right. beforehand. In a slightly better area, and we just basically went over one street into the next suburb. But but it meant that we were in a lower price point, right? So and we'd sold our place before, so we all cashed up. We didn't need to go to a bank to buy this place and rather than bidding um aggressively because i was really keen to do it i said nothing said nothing mm-hmm. until the auction got to where two people were swapping two thousand by Two yeah, thousand yeah. yes and yes. then and when it looked like one person's gonna win i just put a ten thousand dollar bit right and they just all disappear,
1: evaporate. Right. And you're right, and, and most of the time people just, you, you're standing up the back, and all of a sudden everybody looks around and stares at you. Yeah, Who, the I felt was bad bad. <laughs> Who the hell was that person? Who the hell was that person? And and you're right, and, and uh, that's. Uh, Quite often, it's a very, very strong technique when it gets down to that point. The yeah. nervous part about it is, yeah. is the auctioneer going to sell? Yeah. And in the good old days, the auctioneer will say, you know, I'm selling. The property is on the market, yeah. and that in itself. We never bid before before we know that. That's right. And nowadays, some of the auctioneers don't even say that. Yeah. So they'll, they'll go one, two, three, and they'll sell. And some people will complain about that because they say, well, you didn't announce it was on the market, mm. well, I didn't have to. Mm. And and I think that that's the new way. The auctioneers are learning also techniques to overcome some of those issues. Yeah. But bidding strongly like that, sitting there waiting, nonchalant, no agent hovering around you. Mm. Uh, they, you'll just look at them and go, I'm not interested. And then all of a sudden you come out with that final yeah. bid. Now, I have done that on behalf of other people, yeah. uh, bidding on their behalf. And you're right, it's a powerful moment. Yeah.
0: And I think I would figured out that even if I'd paid twenty thousand more, mm. I was ready. Over a period yeah, of time, if they came long. back with another one or two, I'd hit another no, ten. Yeah. And
1: over a period of time, yeah. ten or twenty thousand—it right. doesn't seem a lot. But you're right, because when you do something like that, it doesn't give the other bidders an opportunity to rethink their finances. Mm. In some cases, mm. if they're bidding five hundreds, and then you come in with five or ten they're going to look at each other and go, well, hang on, hang on, can we afford this? And often that that is also a disarming technique. Yeah, I once saw an auction,
0: Charles, where it went up by, uh, in total, 300,000, but the bids were nearly just 2,000, 2,000. And you could see one person was going to always win it, and the other person was being dragged along, like you see him you know, talking to Correct, his, yeah. his partner and staff. No, and you know, that's part of negotiating, yeah. and that's
1: where an agent can do very, very well for you at auction, mm. if they know what they're doing. They mm. can do very well for you as a seller. Peter, auctions are, are being pushed back and you know that they don't give you a proper indication of the market and so on. And they are only a small snapshot of the overall market because mm. the majority of properties are sold by private treaty. But the stats or the numbers, as you know, they don't lie. It doesn't matter whether it's 100 properties sold or 10 properties sold, it's that percentage of that ratio. And in in uh, Australia, the, uh, today the best and most performing, or strongest performing, uh, capital city for a long, long time has been Canberra, mm. and they've had they had a 79.5% clearance rate at auction mm. on the weekend. Now Melbourne is always in those 70s, uh, mm. of course it is at the moment, but they they're, they're about 95% down on the number of properties going to auction. Yeah. Uh, I, what I'm trying to say is that no matter what you hear about it or see, or, or what they say in the U.S., etc. In Australia, the, the clearance rates are strong, people are still bidding, the money is cheap, stock is low, you've got a lot more people wanting to buy the, the smaller number of properties that are there. Mm. So in most cases, if your property is slightly unique, auction is the best way to go. Alright,
0: one last thing, I interviewed Chris Joy last week for The Property Show. Right. And uh, Chris's you know, analysis of um, infection rates, um, what markets would do, They've been very very much on the money for a long time. He reckons that the Australian house prices are going to go up 5 to 10% next year. Mm. Are you happy to hear that? I, c- I completely agree,
1: because I, mm. I, I think they'll shoot up very strongly, particularly in Melbourne, mm. uh, after people are, uh, are allowed to conduct business freely, mm. uh, and then it'll settle down. CBA reported, what, four or five months ago, a 32%, 33% drop. Which, which he, which he um, teased. Yeah, I, and I thought con- it was just completely ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, look, they're... They, 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 way they've got a way of doing their numbers mm. but they also recently published last week that they saw house prices increasing in the next 12 months mm. so I'd have to agree that there's every good reason lots of buyers not much stock but what I am seeing is the stock levels are starting to climb again which means that somewhere in the next few months that leveling of prices will occur that's a good thing isn't it More supply. Yeah, we always say there's two types of markets you're ever in one where you get the buyer up to meet what they think is a vendor's ridiculously high price, and that's mm. called a boom. Mm. And the other where we get the vendors down to what they think is the purchaser's ridiculously low offer, and that's called real estate. Mm. And that's what we're in 90% of the time.
0: Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's Charles Talby, the founder of Century 21. Well, the coronavirus has changed lots of industries, and one industry that clearly has been affected, is the mortgage and broking industry and to talk to us about the many changes as well as possibly the impacts of the budget, we have Susan Mitchell, who is the CEO of Mortgage Choice. Susan, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Susan, let's go through some of the big issues. Uh, You have lots of uh, people who work under the Mortgage Choice banner. And and we all know that interest rates are coming down and and we we hear lots of uh, renegotiation of loans. Do you think because people have more time on their hands, they actually are thinking about their loans and doing a a lot more homework than ever before and therefore they're contacting your brokers?
2: Um, Absolutely, people are at home, they're thinking about their expenses. What is is the largest expense that most people have? It would be their mortgage. Mm. So if they can save money on their mortgage, absolutely they wanna do that. The mortgage process is difficult. But they're at home, they're able to gather up all the pieces of paper, get all their information together to hand over to their broker. So I definitely believe that that extra time on people's hands when they're not commuting has made them focus on their expenses and they're looking at their mortgages and trying to reduce it.
0: And have your brokers uh, been forced to think of innovative ways to actually do the broking process even better than the old process?
2: Well, it's interesting because I think the brokers would have innovated sooner, Mm. but actually the banks have insisted on meeting people in person, doing IDs in person and getting wet signatures on documents. So coronavirus and um, lockdown has brought a lot of innovation forward. And we're now seeing e-signatures, remote IDs and interviews via Zoom. And all of these things are now acceptable to the institutions. Mm. So this is actually going to help brokers enormously become more efficient and help more customers. I would have
0: thought that given the fact that Victoria has gone into lockdowns and people can't move beyond a five kilometre circumference that, um, that, that I'm sorry, a diameter, that would be, wouldn't it? Uh, um, that, that, that would have affected the business for mortgage choice brokers. Has that been the case?
2: No, that's not been the case. Our brokers have been just as busy as ever. In fact, some of them are busier than they've ever been. Mm. There's so much um, review of these loans. There are still people buying homes, but they can still contact their broker. They don't have to leave their home. Mm. They can take care of that from their home. Mm. We're also seeing an enormous amount of refinancing in investors Mm. because they You know, there was a very wide spread between the owner-occupied rate and the um, investor rate for a period of time, based on the APRA rules, the APRA speed Those, That spread is now reducing. So there's an enormous opportunity for investors to refinance their loans. Let's say 67% of our investment activity is refinanced.
0: Yeah, I would have thought so. But it's just interesting because there was a time there where APRA was really trying to discourage lenders for giving money to investors. You're saying that's yes. now changing because we're all in this together now.
2: Well, I think there's, um, well, if it's a refinance, they probably already have the loan there. Mm. So there are still, they have, but that speed bump is gone now. Um, but that's a lot of the investment activity right now is refinancing and getting a lower rate.
0: Okay. Let's talk about the desire of the government to take away responsible lending, which in the eyes and ears of normal people uh, makes them think, well, are they going to encourage irresponsible lending? But tell us what the impact of the responsible lending legislation has had on the industry.
2: What it's had on the industry, it means it takes much, much longer to process an application for a consumer. Some of the reasons for that are they're forensically going through the living expenses, Mm. detailing them in like 24 different categories, ticking through bank statements and credit card statements to prove up those numbers, and then verifying all the different forms of income that a customer may have, even if perhaps they don't need that income to service their loan. So they've gone through forensically a consumer's activity, ticked it all back to bank statements. They didn't used to do that. That's something new that's been happening over the last 18 to 18 months to 24 months. So if you took away responsible lending, they may be able to move to where you're just verifying a few very large expenses. You might take the customer's word for their expenses, but then compare it to certain benchmarks. And if that doesn't seem reasonable, you would do more research. You would perhaps only verify their PAYG income or the income from their small business and not their other income, if that's all that's needed to show that they can service the loan. Mm. So it should reduce the amount of information a consumer has to gather. It should reduce the amount of time that it takes to process and verify an application. And therefore, a better customer experience. Uh, Suzanne,
0: when, when I was young and looking for a home loan for the first time, the years before it, we were traveling overseas and living the life of Riley. But as soon as we took on the home loan, I think interest rates probably went to about 17% along, along the way. What we learnt was the living of the life of Riley had to be put on hold because we now were, we were owning a home and we had a home loan. Do you think most Australians actually got that? Because I think a federal court judge basically raised that question that just because someone used to eat uh, Wagyu beef and knock it down with a bottle of Grange doesn't mean that they would always do that when they have a home loan.
2: I completely agree I believe that if consumers want to stay in their home and that home's important to them they will adjust their lifestyle to accommodate and make those mortgage payments we have seen that throughout history people really do believe that but the way the responsible lending was being done by some of the different institutions was that they looked at your current expenses and they said well we're going to assume that these are your expenses going forward therefore I can only lend you A certain amount of money because I believe that you'll be spending a lot of money here on your opera, your expense, your living expenses. Mm. It'll allow a bank to make a judgment call on some of those things if the responsible lending legislation is revoked.
0: So in many ways, the word "responsible" was probably um, misplaced and highly emotive because it's become more like excessively. What's the word I'm searching for? I'm it's going to say
2: just forensic. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's right. Forensic inquiry into you. And it's, it's kind of really misinterpreting what a person may well be like as a, a person with a debt as opposed to someone without a debt. So I, I hope the government can actually do that. I, I guess from my point of view, I should ask you, are you hoping that the, the level of forensic testing becomes more reasonable than unreasonable?
2: I'll be honest with you, Peter. I, I, I want to wait and see because mm. if they truly get this change through, there's still two other issues here. Yeah. One is basically the banks will lend according to APRA standards. Mm. So it will now be up to APRA as to what lending standards are. Number one. Number two, it depends on what AFCA does, mm. the complaints
0: no. um,
2: situation. No. So AFCA has a different set of rules that it goes by. It goes by whether or not they feel something is fair. So I'm not quite sure how removing responsible lending is going to actually tie in with what AFCA feels is fair. So I think it remains to be seen how much it actually changes. It it
0: seemed to me when all this came in that the real failure was always that if someone had a problem with a, a lender, the, 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 the ability to get something sorted out fairly wasn't good. Now, and the idea of AFCA sounds like a good idea. And if the caliber of regulation of bad lending was a lot better, we wouldn't have never had this problem in the first place.
2: I, I can't disagree with you there, but some, and, and, and nothing, no, I do not want to support, you know, banks doing the wrong thing by consumers in any way. Mm. I think we've had a huge shift after the Royal Commission yeah. in that direction. But there's also some situations where the fair pendulum goes too far one direction. Yeah. For instance, there's some decisions that we've been told about where the broker has done the right thing and that AFCA agrees, yes, they followed the law. But we think that you should, we should still find in favor of the consumer. Yeah,
0: no, I've heard that too. I heard.
2: And 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 it's I mean that implies that if you're trying not to get caught up by Afca, Afca is actually determining the lending standards. Yeah,
0: yeah. well, and I think so that, yeah, you're right, and I think I think that's the important thing. If this whole regulation thing is going to be uh, right, you can't presume that the lender and the broker are always wrong. Sometimes the consumer is in the wrong.
2: I, I think that's fair. Everyone has to do. Everyone has to be seen and tested to do the right thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, the big move into fixed interest rates. Can you believe what we're, we're offering customers nowadays?
2: It is amazing. And I don't understand why everyone doesn't have a fixed interest rate. I don't understand why you wouldn't go charging into those rates. Mm. They're not going to be there. It's interesting. The first two to three years look really good, but four and five don't look good. Mm. So um, I have seen some five-year rates, but they're not you know you wouldn't want to go there okay. but those first what, three years are very good
0: give, give us an idea of what a three-year good rate looks like 215 yeah sounds unbelievable for <laughs> three years yeah sounds isn't that amazing? that's amazing can the fi- can the fixed rate go lower I, I i noticed that the reserve bank governor's pretty strongly hinting that with his next meeting they could cut take the cash rate from 0.25 down to 0.1
2: well, I'm still seeing rates go down. Okay. We get um, updates from the lenders every time they change their rates. And I've been getting some over the last three to four, you know, two to three weeks mm. where the variables in the fix keep going down. So I, I don't know that. Mm. There's going to be a point at which they have to stop because they have to have something yeah. to create to, uh, to pay their expenses. Has
0: the RBA been making it easy for fixed rates to come down?
2: I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not an economist mm. to, to be able to answer that com- completely clearly. I assume it's the, the cost of the money in the market. I'm not sure that's entirely based on what the RBA is doing. I'm sure that's a very large part of it. But you're the economist. Um, how did that, the rates are getting that low because I guess just the money that they're able to borrow is that low and they're able to lock it in longer.
0: Are the banks now at an advantage over the non-banks right now? Um
2: I'm seeing lower rates at the banks, but actually I'm seeing some really great rates, not at the biggest four. Mm. I'm seeing some great rates from that next group, Macquarie, um, ING, HSBC, we're seeing some great rates. There's some good Suncorp rates, really good rates at the big four, but we're also seeing at the next level. The non-banks don't have quite that same low rate as the others, but, you know, a non-bank has other reasons that you go to a non-bank. There's lots of reasons why you would go and take your customer to a Mm non-bank. The thing that's really interesting is the banks are starting to turn back on. So what you're really seeing, you've got the rates, but what you're also seeing is the credit policy. So everyone pulled back on their credit policy and they lowered the LVRs, they lowered the cash out, they lowered the credit that they would give you for income beyond your salary they um, checked that you were employed up until the date of drawing down on the loan. And what we're now starting to see is they're starting to give you more credit for commission income. They're starting to accept applications from people in um, COVID-related industries. They're starting to see the LVRs come back up. You're starting to see credit turn back on.
0: So uh, what about the postcode? A number of postcodes were discriminated against by some lenders. Is that still going on?
2: yes that's been going on forever Peter Mm. there's always been some postcodes that some lenders have just said I'm not going to lend in that postcode Mm. and it might be it might be for um it might be too regional Mm. for that bank's lending taste or it might be there's something else going on in that area that they're not interested in but that's been going on for a very very long time it's one of those things that people don't really talk about because it's hidden in the black box of their calculator Mm.
0: In terms of um, defaults and delinquencies and problems out there in the the loan market, uh, I guess you you would look at that kind of thing because you don't want your brokers to have a client who's not going to be able to pay back the loans. Are you seeing anything that's worrying you at this point in time?
2: Well, to be honest, we're not getting the oversight on that that we would like to get. Mm we're not able to get reports from the banks that tell us which of our customers have actually been moved into a deferral program or an interest only program. So we don't really have that oversight. That's, we would love to get that oversight so we could understand which of our customers might be at issue, but we're actually, it's kind of, it's like we're waiting for March to see what that answer will be. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Suzanne, thanks for joining us on the program. And, uh, Is there anything else you think we should know, given your august position in the the mortgage industry? Is there anything else we Uh, should know?
2: That's very funny. But anyway, (laughs) um, I think the thing is, is if you've got the right right credit, the banks are very, very anxious to lend you money. They are definitely open for business, and this is a great time to look at your mortgage and go see a broker and refinance.
0: Suzanne Mitchell, CEO at Mortgage Choice. Thanks for joining us.
2: Bye bye. Thank you, Peter.
0: Before I go, Switzer Financial Group is pleased to bring you the virtual Switzer Investor Strategy Day on Tuesday the 20th and Wednesday the 21st of October. Held virtually via Zoom and hosted by myself, the two day conference will give investors access and insight from some of Australia's best investors and fund managers. You'll have an opportunity to hear from these top fund managers to understand how they are investing in these unprecedented times. The day will deliver information through idea-driven educational sessions from the fund managers who share insights on how they are investing and what their thoughts are on the future. These sessions will be followed by a roundtable panel discussion. The audience will also have an opportunity to ask questions via Zoom to get a deeper understanding of how these experts are investing. I'm also very pleased to announce that we will also be joined on the day by the Treasurer of Australia, the Honourable Josh Frydenberg. He will be sharing his plans and insights into how he's going to lead us out of this recession. Click on this link in this video description below to register. It's going to be a great day and I hope you can join us on Tuesday the 20th and Wednesday the 21st of October. See you next week.